You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Four of the Not Another Leafs podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon and Brendan McCarthy with you in the post mortem episode of the Toronto Maple Leafs season at Ken Stapon at B McCarthy 95. Is that right, B Mac? Correct. B Mac, I'll tell you as well, I meditated before the show this morning to make sure that I was level headed coming into our conversation. Obviously, a little bit less emotional than after we recorded the last one, which was right after the conclusion of game five. We've had a couple days to sit on it now. How are you feeling about a week after the Toronto Maple Leafs elimination from the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, it shouldn't serve as a consolation, but look how much trouble the Jackets are giving the Lightning. And I mentioned on the previous pod how similar the Lightning and Leafs are on paper in terms of skill and speed and offensive firepower. And the Jackets are just continuing to, to be the wear and tear, hard hat hockey team. They're a and pain in the ass. They are a total pain in the ass, man. And, and Tampa is finally figuring it out. And if you're the Leafs, it's like, look, at, we were doing the exact same thing, but they, they, the, the, the Lightning are getting lucky bounces. Corpus Allo knocked it in off his pad the, the other day. I think it was game one. Well, 87 saves for him in that one. What, what went to four OTs? That, that's, like that's insane. That's insane. That's insane he, from Corpusalo that he's putting up these sorts of numbers still. And you can hang your hat a little bit on that as a Maple Leafs fan, but it's still like, what the hell is going on in Columbus? I mean, this is a team that Yarmo Kekalainen has built for this t- style of play to annoy the more finesse teams in the league. And Tampa Bay – even yesterday, I figured that they were the better team in that game. I had a little bit, a couple bucks riding on the bolts, and the Jackets obviously getting the win. So they continue to annoy me, not even in the sense that they knocked out our team out of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but now they're hitting me in the wallet too, and that's just rude. It is rude. I, I think John Cooper is probably scratching his head uh, this morning in the library bar at Royal York because this is this is going to be a tough, tough task, man. <laughs> it, it is. The library I mean, bar. <laughs> Good spot. Good yeah, spot. Did, yeah, not you bad gotta spot. You got to spend a pretty penny there, though. I was going to say, if you don't mind 18 bucks for a cocktail, like that's <laughs> a spot that you wheel in there. You yeah. have one old-fashioned, and then you wheel straight out of there and hit the road because you're going to be quits. in for a – Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a disaster. I know our buddy Ross Levitan likes to go and set up shop at some of those hotel bars. Oh, he, no doubt. We see who's in town just for a couple of days. If you can wheel and deal, he's been known to troll <laughs> around and have some success in those hotels, but – it doesn't come cheap, man. You got to be willing to open up the wallet and uh, throw a couple of bones down if you're going to be hanging out in those places. Yeah, I'm sure Ross uh, wears his big Beats headphones in there too. Yeah, big time. The blue suit jacket and the red Beats headphones. Yeah, this team is giving people fits. They gave the Leafs fits. They're giving the Lightning fits. And you got to feel like the Lightning are seeing ghosts of the past after last year. I mean, this would be a total disaster for them to get knocked out by the jackets two years in a row let's not get too deep into this series though this is a maple leafs podcast after all and the maple leafs having their media availability earlier on this week talking about the end of the season i want to get into some of the audio that i thought was the most stimulating from a conversation point uh the first clip was from mitch marner and he was talking about 
how he wasn't really necessarily engaged in game one versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he started to get more engaged as the series went on. For me, I don't have a problem with Marner as a player. I think that he brings it every night. He's obviously one of those guys that's going to be a facilitator and a driving force for the Maple Leafs offense. And I think that likely he'll be poised for a bigger year next year than he had this season. You remember all the offseason troubles he had with the contract, the possible offer sheets, and the fan base kind of turned on him in the offseason. I think that was really difficult for him as a player. But this comment kind of bothered me a little. If you're going to sign a $15 million signing bonus and cash that check on July 1st, you better be ready to show up in game one of the playoffs. Marner's saying that he wasn't really there. Do you have a problem with the commentary? I'm glad he owned it because, yes, that he, you know, drove Leafs faithful nuts uh, prior to the start of last season with getting that big mammoth contract in order. But, no, it's time, it's time for him to, to own it and – Yes, he did have a horrible game one. And if, you, if you're making that much coin over that term, you, you have to be physically there, mentally there, and skillfully wasn't there at all in game one. And if, yeah. if, in the best of five series, it's going to be over like that. If, if you know, you're, you're high, one of your highest paid players is a ghost. Well, you heard Kyle Dubas say during his availability that he thought that the series was lost in game one. So quite simply, when you parlay those two comments that your best players weren't showing up or your best player in this case didn't show up and didn't have his best game with the importance of a game one in a five-game series, I think we had cited earlier that there's something to the tune of there's been 56 three or five-game series in NHL history. 48 teams who win game one go on to win the series. So it's very important, even more important than in a seven-game series to get that win in a five-game series for me, he has to be better right off the jump. And the fact that he's coming out consistently with this commentary, if you remember back in February, right before the stoppage, Marner came out, said after that, I think it was after the big loss to the Penguins, that the effort just wasn't there from the team in some of the games prior to it. And for me, that's something that's unacceptable. The effort has to be there. You have to be engaged, especially if you're going to be a leader on this team and you want the letter on your jersey and you want to be paid as one of the top players in the league. You have to be able to show up and perform at the highest level when the spotlight's the brightest. He wasn't able to do that at the beginning of this series, and you really hope that moving forward, he's able to push past that. I have no doubt that he will be able to. I'm just getting a little tired of hearing this sort of commentary from him as a player after big disappointments to a season because if you're gonna walk the walk you have to talk the talk or is that is the other way around you're gonna talk the talk you have to walk the walk it's like (laughs) you know what i'm trying to say no absolutely and i look at i I was just kind of pissed off with his demeanor i mean if i know it's fresh and and it's it's right after a series loss but first of all the guy looked like he just rolled out of bed and you have like now I know he's still pretty young, but this will next year will be his fifth year in the league. And, you know, and that, that comes with being a professional. Uh, I know he, he was much better defensively in, in, in game five, but again, that's not what he's paid to do. See, I've got no issue with, points. I have no issue with him with what he's saying off the ice. I have more of an issue with him directing the attention to what he's doing on the ice. Like, if you're not going to show up, like, I don't want you to come to the media after and say, like, the effort wasn't there that game. That's going to inflame the fan base. It inflamed me when I saw those con- that commentary. Because for me, you know, when you look at this team, especially in a, a hard cap league, and you have your best player coming out and saying, I wasn't engaged. I'm sort of like, well, what the hell were you cashing that $15 million check for? What's the organization paying for it, I, that I for? If that you're not going to show up at the beginning of the series, if you weren't engaged, what the hell does that mean? That's what my, like, TA used to tell me in university. You weren't engaged in this class. Like, sorry, I didn't participate. That As a is, player in the National That is the potential League, word for you. For yeah. you, the potential word drives me crazy. Engagement drives you crazy. And that's potential. what you said. Wasn't I engaged. thought potential drove, you, drove yeah, me potential nuts. Yeah, dr- <laughs> potential drives me nuts. Engagement dri- drives you nuts, allegedly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's You should be engaged every freaking game. You should be engaged. It's the postseason. Like, yeah. I know it's been weird. It was the COVID cup. You had a bunch of time off, but that was five months to get your body healthy, get into shape, get your mind right, you know, do your homework on the teams that you could potentially be facing in the playing round. They knew for a little bit of time that it was going to be Columbus. 
for me, it's just you have to be show, show up right from puck drop. A couple of other guys who were leading to similar commentary were Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley. Um, I'm going to paraphrase them here. Basically, both of them said that the team needs to find a way to kick it into gear in these playoff games and play with almost more of a sense of urgency to be able to shut the door on these teams. This comment from Muzzin really hit home for me because he's got a cup ring. He's one of those guys that they brought in because he has that experience. He's been through playoff runs with the LA Kings. He understands what it takes and the sacrifice, the price you have to pay. His commentary is suggesting that the Maple Leafs weren't willing to pay the price or don't know how to pay the price yet. That, I think, should be concerning for Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan moving forward because that's something that has to come from within and can't necessarily be taught. Exactly, and I think that that's an important thing for for Muzzin to say and it's what a young Leaf squad needs I mean you know you look at Clifford Campbell and Muzzin all guys with with cup experience deep playoff run experience and I believe Muzzin and Riley were up at the podium at the same time for Riley you know he, he's he's experienced the absolute dog days in Leafland I mean drafted in 2012 there for the Horachuk days then kind of experienced the rise, and now they kind of just are in a awkward stall. So for Jesus, Riley, please don't bring up the Horachuk stuff right now. I can't. No, I'm I can't not. go back there right now. That's a, like shut it down. No, I, I I'm shut. I already shut it down. No, Thank God. But for Riley, I think you know, to me, he he's probably the most dejected and deflated because it's like you know we're on the rise, but now we're just we hit a wall. And Muzzin is pissed because it's like I'm not used to being out this early. Where 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 are you guys? Where are your heads at? Which kind of brings us to the commentary from team president Brendan Shanahan, who was suggesting that the team has taken a step back. I don't think that there's any disputing that claim. I mean, they weren't a playoff team this year, technically, after they got eliminated by the Jackets. They're officially not a playoff team for the 2020 season. And when you look at the progress that they'd made, you know, you had the 105 point regular season a couple of years ago, the most points in franchise history. You know, then you move from the six-game six loss to the Capitals in the postseason to the Game 7 loss from Boston, but you didn't really ever have that series in control. So then the following year where you really had Boston on the ropes after getting a big win in Game 5 on the road at Boston with a chance to close them out in Game 6 in Toronto, and you weren't able to put forth the effort to step on their throat and kill them off. So when you look at the progress that this team has made, it's kind of like you can't suggest anything other than what Brendan Shanahan has said. This team has taken a step back from where the expectation was and needs to figure out what its identity is moving into next season because obviously what they have working for them right now is sending them on a downward trajectory away from where they're expected to be. Remember the Shanna plan? Shanna really plan is seen... still The Shanna plan is still in full effect. But now we're in year five, right? Seems to be rolling year five, over right year, now. Year five of the Shanna plan? Yeah, I year mean, year one, year two, plan? it's great. It's promising. It sounds, oh, it's clever. Shanna plan, like, there's a goal here. We're ambitious. But, yeah, five years, five years in, it's uh, very, very concerning. And I agree. I think, I think they have taken a step back because, you know, they were on that, that high rise for a while when they're all in their rookie seasons in 16, 17, and it was like, pretty much not not a fluke but it was it was highly was doubtful hope. at the start of the season they'd make the playoffs and it's like okay, we're looking we forward go. to it where this team was going to grow but to now you. it's we're like well we know that. we know you can exactly like you know that th this this team is strong in the regular season they can put up as many individual statistics you know breaking records smashing records whatever but now kenny it's like you can do that great but it's not going to be a holy moly. We made the playoffs. It's okay. Yeah. We, we're assuming you're going to take third in the Atlantic or what have you. Yeah. We, we assume that we expect that like th this city is, is hungry for a deep run. And it used to just be, let's just slip into that eight seed. That would be a miracle. The, the expectations are much higher now and yep. they, and they've taken a major, major step back in the Shanna plan. Well, Brian Hayes said this on Overdrive, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. This is the most disappointing season since the beginning of the Shanna plan, even during the tanking season. 
At least I believe he idea. did say Horacek season. Yeah. Sorry to bring it back, but he did. I said True. no more. No more Peter Horacek talk. This well, the, yeah, we can bring it up now, but yeah. no more for the rest of the pod. <laughs> this guy, like at least during that season, with the tanking season that is, there was a goal in mind. And they you knew that they were gonna suck. And Babcock came out and said, you know, there's gonna be growing pains here. Don't expect anything. They finish in last place, but they won the lottery. They get the first overall pick. They draft Austin Matthews bring him in to join William Nylander who was already poised and ready to take that step and then ever since then it's been building you know we brought it up it's been slowly moving up and then this season's just like they dropped off a cliff like from where the expectation was at the beginning of the year people were talking about this team were going to be cup contenders with the addition of Tyson Berry and whether or not they were going to be able to push for one of those you know top four spots in the Eastern Conference now that not even to make the playoffs is just it's a, a woeful underachievement of expectations for where this team should be. Well, and, you know, inevitably, since it's fresh still for a lot of ardent Leaf fans, they're going to they're gonna point fingers everywhere. Dubis, Anderson, Marner, Nylander. Yeah, the and fire of Dubis I've, is trending again on Twitter this week, and it's like, you know, Jesus, I, yeah, everybody I, needs been, to relax. I've been hearing a lot like, oh, you shouldn't have let Kadri go. You know, we're locking that sandpaper physical element to the game. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that, w- that was a good trade. Barry just had a bad season. He just season. didn't pan out. I'm, di- I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. He just, Every- like- everybody's piling on Dubis saying, you know, why do you get rid of Kadri? He's a playoff guy. But let's not forget, this guy got suspended twice in a row. Back to back. Back to back against the Bruins. And he's the kind of guy that you need in the lineup against a team like Boston. You're actually hindering the team by leaving the lineup more than you're helping them because now they have to figure out a way to plug the holes that you're leaving there. So obviously he wasn't able to control his emotions to the way, to the point that he needed to in those postseason series. And it was well-documented the help they needed on the back end. Everybody was celebrating all over the place when they were able to bring back a defenseman of Tyson Berry's character and caliber into the organization for the return from Nazem Kadri, especially at the cap hit. You know, everybody was calling Dubas a wizard, and this is an amazing addition to the team. And then he just never panned out. He never got comfortable here under Mike Babcock, particularly because Babs doesn't like that sort of player, the defenseman who's sort of more, you know, free-flowing and jumps up into the rush. He's right. not, is obviously not in Babs' DNA to allow that to happen. So he never got comfortable here in the beginning. He sort of seemed to get his legs under him a little bit more under Sheldon Keith, but he never put up even close to the numbers that he had in Colorado. Absolutely not. I was looking at uh, hockey DB today and just like the, the, the numbers are, are just so different uh, of his time. And maybe, you know, it's the amount of years he spent there transitioning, but every player has to do that. Eventually it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a cutthroat industry. And like you said, like, he was no, like, like you said, he didn't really do anything under Babcock. I don't think the relationship was strong there, but even with Keith Kenny, like I, I didn't really see much of him. And quite frankly, I, I was surprised at his, is I obviously he has mobility, like similar to a Morgan Riley, but you know, his, his containment of the puck, uh, his, his physicality, you know, not, not something that really bolstered uh, a Leafs blue line that is now in trouble because they're out of right defensemen, right shot defensemen. I think you were telling me earlier they only have Justin Hall left. Yeah, it's a disaster on the right side of this defense. Let's touch on Sheldon Keefe here. 36-25-9 after taking over, I think it was on what, November 21st for Mike Babcock. Against uh, the eight, Coyotes? That was his yeah, first game. Eighth place in the East, but obviously they lose the play in round to Columbus, so that's kind of irrelevant. They were just straddling that playoff line all year. They were good on the power play. They were better on the power play and the penalty kill with Keefe as well. What do you expect out of Sheldon Keefe next season? And how do you view this season after he took over at the midway point or in the beginning rather over for Mike Babcock? I think the mood's going to be a little bit different. I don't think he's going to really emulate what Mike Babcock brought. I mean, clearly that won't click with the players especially the, the young core and the Maple Leafs. Yeah, they were pretty vocal that they like the way that Keefe coaches and they like playing under him. And I get that, I, but I, I still think there has to be a, I'm in charge, you're doing this because you're ultimately making this much money. And I found a lot during the series, especially in high-pressure moments, that's where the experienced coach in John Tortorella shined. 
because there's a lot of times where I just thought, wow, like Keith's demeanor is very low considering the situation the Leafs are, are in. And maybe that works. Maybe, maybe the players are much more freer, relaxed around him. He's, he's, he's younger than Babcock. You can relate to him a little bit more. But I think there needs to be that, you know, iron fist still. So I believe he'll come back next season and say, guys, like this is, this is unacceptable. And there needs, to be, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a leadership change. And maybe he's just going to have more of a volatile personality. If, if things aren't going right, he's going he's gonna to let you know in a harsh, harsh way. There's a couple things there that you said that I want to touch on. A, uh, John Tortorella following the series criticized the media, actually suggesting that they have no idea what the hell is going on on the ice 90% of the time because they don't see the game the same way that a coach in the NHL does. And the criticism of Sheldon right. Keith is completely out of right field in that if he actually did a very good job during the series and Tortorella had difficulty adjusting to what Keith was doing, I think is what he was alluding to. So obviously high praise from a veteran coach on the other side. It could just be, you know, just the fraternity of NHL coaches. You protect the other guy. And maybe he'd be speaking differently if he had lost the series. So, you know, Torts can be a little bit saltier. But still praise. I think that's a positive for the team and for the organization. Dubas also said in his interview earlier in the week on Overdrive, that was one of the points that he brought up, was that although the players do like playing for Sheldon Keefe, he suggested that Keefe has actually been very hard on the team in the points where he had to be hard on him. I think when you see him behind the bench, and he's sort of just like sitting there, he does not, he's not an overly emotional guy. I think that's just his personality as he keeps it toned down a lot, particularly in the interviews with the media. But when he's addressing his players, one thing that has been documented is that he has a lot of good preparation tactics. So if he's suggesting that he needs you to make an adjustment in your game, he'll come with prepared with the film of where you were doing what he's talking about and showing you a why you need to do it differently and b situations where you did it differently and there was a different result and i think that sort of approach rather than just getting berated all the time and i wasn't in the locker room so i'm not going to pretend that i know what mike babcock was doing but he's obviously a more old school guy and i think uh has a different way of doing things and confronting his players obviously the whole mitch marner list thing was well documented as being a good way to undercut the confidence of your players and sort of lose trust in the locker room. I think Keith has an opposite approach and that will bode well for the Maple Leafs, particularly since they're a younger group moving forward into next season. Yeah. I don't think he's going to completely change his personality to the point where he makes one of his players cry like Babcock did to Mitch Marner in his rookie season. But I think possibly Keith is going to think things over on his own and say, you know what? This is a young team, but perhaps I need to change in my coaching methods and really hammer home the point, especially yeah. to guys who don't show up in critical moments like William Nylander. And how savage was it? Uh, you mentioned John Tortorella earlier. Tops the Leafs in five. Next day, press conference for game one versus the Lightning burns the Toronto media and Toronto fans. We were yeah. dancing to Tortorella's tune all series and even after. Yeah, I know you're a big Tortorella guy. Like, what else can you say about him? <laughs> like, I love him, to be honest. I think the league is a better place when he's behind the bench of one of the teams, constantly offering sound bites. Just the saltiness, I think, is an acquired taste. But I really enjoy it, watching his antics. I love him. Can't man. wait. Yeah, I can't wait to flip on the interview and see what this guy has to say, particularly after a Blue Jackets blowout or after they get blown out, rather. It's hilarious to watch, and and that's what I makes love him because he, he knows. Coach. Yeah, he knows, he knows what's going he's on. He's always like, "Don't, don't ask me about the hit. I'm not talking about the hit. Like anything, he just knows what to expect, and he's just like, I don't want to be here. Like it's just, it's candid, and it's it's good for the game, man. It's good for Sports Center. It gives us sound bites. Yeah, that man. I'm all about the content. I root for chaos. I don't really care yes. what happens deep down. Like obviously, I'm a Leafs fan, but I root for the outcome that's going to give us the most content being a member of the sports media industry. So if there's something that's going to light everything on fire, if that's Edmonton winning the draft lottery, then I'm rooting for Edmonton to win the draft lottery because I just find we'll it hilarious it watching everybody melt down. And it's going to give you stuff to talk about for the next, you know, three, four, five weeks. And that's ultimately what we're in the game for. Uh, one thing I would say just to finish off the Sheldon Keefe conversation is that 
I think sometimes when you come in at the midpoint of a season or in the middle of a season, rather, to take over as the head coach of a team, sometimes it can be more difficult for you to instill the systems that you want in place, particularly the mindset defensively that you want because you weren't there from the beginning of the season. I think that's one area that the Maple Leafs showed improvement under Sheldon Keefe, obviously giving up less goals after he took over. And I would expect the team to be a little bit tighter next season than they were this season. A, just because they're maturing. B, because they learned a tough, another tough lesson against Columbus. And it seems like they keep losing to these teams that are more defensively oriented. So you got to pick something up soon and you're going to need to be better if you expect to be able to compete in the second season. And three, I think that particularly when you look at Austin Matthews, I think that he is starting to become that dominant two-way presence on this team where he can be the first-line center who goes, you know, plays the 200-foot game. He can develop into that Ryan Getzlav, into that Anze Kopitar, who's just as big of a pain in the ass in the defensive zone as they are in the offensive zone. And if he can develop that and start to become lethal in both those areas, this team is going to be all the better for it. And no, no doubt, Kenny, he has the respect of all the players. They, lo- they love playing for him. You could just tell as soon as they made that midseason switch, you know, the, the leash was extended, if you will. Babcock had the Leafs on a short leash. But uh, I think, think there needs to be almost a bit more of a kick in the ass. Not, 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 from, not, a, not a Babcock kick in the ass. But it needs to come from keep, within the room, man. Maybe like, they can't needs just to get out of the core. And just and sometimes you need to hear it. You have to hear it. And, and young guys need to hear it more. Yeah, Babcock, I would say, had the team on a shorter leash than I had my six-month-old puppy, Leela, on. Obviously, with a new coach out the door, that's one of the chips that the general manager has that they can cash in on. I don't really think that there's too many more of those for Kyle Dubas. I don't think that the organization is going to move on from him anytime soon. But really, you only get to fire maybe one, maybe two coaches before it's your ass that's going to be on the hot seat. And there are some off-season moves that this guy needs to sure up. I mean, you mentioned the defensemen. The majority of them are left shot. Like, when you look at coming back, it's going to be Riley, Muzzin. If you expect Sandine to be in the opening day lineup, which a lot of Maple Leaf fans do, he's a left shot. Dermot, also a left shot. The guy that's going to be the expectation expected to take that next step if the team is going to be successful. The only right shot that's coming back, really, is Justin Hall. Aside from that, you're going to need to shore up the right side of that defense, and where do you start that? Well, I don't think Keith is fixated on the on the left and right ratio like Babcock was, but yeah. Babcock it's, it's loves be, it. He needs the he, balance. He will he, not play <laughs> no, two left shots together. He'd just as well play Justin Hall for 60 minutes if he was the only right shot on the team. Oh, absolutely. Just to get that perfect like pairing together, left and right, but it's going to be weird. I remember we have that Miko Lettinen guy too, who's also a left shot defenseman. And you mentioned Dermot. I think he has a, a great, great chance to crack the top four. I think he was the best defenseman in, in the series against Columbus personally. Um, but it's going to be weird. I think, you know, they're going to have to deal with it because they don't have a lot of guys in their pipeline who shoot right other than Timothy Lilligren, who I haven't really been impressed with. This is yeah, a guy who drafted a- three years ago. He's but a right shot, but that's about the only fit that he has on the team right now for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen him play once live against the Belleville Senators a couple of years ago with uh, Ross and Chris. And again, even with the Marlies, he didn't really look that stable or mobile. And, you know, there was, there was a lot um, expected of this, of this guy. And, you know, I don't see him really being um, uh, a fixture on, on the back end next season, quite frankly. On the decor, like Dubas did have this to say earlier on the week that he really likes Justin Hall's development, and I tend to agree with him. Uh, I thought that he showed that he can play in a shutdown pairing with Jake Buzzin at the NHL level and be quite effective. He's a good skater. He's puck awareness, I think, has grown tremendously, getting more reps. Uh, I mean, you remember last season, I think he only got eight or ten appearances on the ice obviously Babcock wasn't the biggest fan but he's one of Keith's boys so he gets plugged in a lot more time this year I think that he's going to be pretty solid not necessarily a bona fide top four on any other team but he's going to need to play that role on this team just simply because they don't have a lot of cap room to be bringing other guys in uh Dermot for me I think is like more of a third pairing guy on 
a Stanley Cup contender. Like you gotta throw him out there with Sandine or whatever, and he'll be able he'll be effective in those matchups. I think you run into trouble when you start moving him up and down the lineup. So then the real question is, is who's going to play with Morgan Riley on the top pairing? Do you try to go out in free agency and bring in a guy? Do you try to do a trade or something to adjust that top spot? Because that was glaringly obvious that this was a position of need for the Maple Leafs, particularly in their first mound, mound matchup. I don't want to pump the tires of these guys again, but Wierenski and Jones absolutely killed the Maple Leafs. And they need to find a guy that they can throw out there for 25 minutes a game with Morgan Riley. Maybe someone a little bit more defensively oriented. We obviously know that the year that Morgan Riley was in that conversation for the Norris Trophy, it was when he was paired with Ron Hainsey. Old man Hainsey, just a defensively responsible guy. He has guy. had horrible D partners. But he had horrible an amazing year with Hainsey. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's putting up a massive points. I think he finished, what, fourth in Norris voting that year? Like, he was right up there in the mix, and it's just that's the kind of defenseman, defensive partner that you need, an older, savvy veteran who understands the defensive responsibility and he can skate a little bit more. Go and find a guy like that. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Kenny, Riley has had Cody Franzen, Ron Hainsey, Cody, Cody CC to, to, to name a few. A couple of Cody's. They, this guy deserves a stable D partner because you look Cody's at, as you said, up you, in free agency? you look at the numbers. <laughs> Right we're, shots. We're, we're, we're gonna need. We're gonna need to sign another right-handed Cody to bring him in. Yeah, right, that was got, honestly got, out of the three I mentioned. That was probably the best one. But Franzen? I mean, he put up Franzen. <laughs> yeah, Cody Franzen. Yeah, the Leafs actually were kicking tires at him again. Um, I think a few years ago, but I, he might be in the, the KHL now. I don't really know, but it's he, he, Morgan Riley deserves a better D partner because the numbers he's putting up with weak defenders beside him just shows you the caliber of Morgan Riley. But if you were to put, like, just spitballing, a Ryan Ellis next to him, it's a game changer. That's an ideal world, though, Kenny. Yeah, I don't think there's any way that you're prying that guy out of Nashville, especially at that's his contract. first guy that came to my head. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I was actually talking that we're going to have to give this guy an appearance on the show if we keep bringing him up. But uh, Ross and I were actually talking about this. He's a big <laughs> Sens guy. He has the Sens Central podcast. Yeah. Mark Borvietsky. Mark Borvietsky is a guy who is coming up Borrow. in free agency for the Sens. I mean, he's a physical defenseman, stay-at-home defenseman, likes to get you know physically involved in the game. He's got that edge to his game where he drags other people into the fight. This is a guy that would be cost-effective and I think would fill the role nicely for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's been a staple on the Ottawa Senators' back end. We know that these teams like to flip-flop players back and forth at this point, it seems like every year they've got a couple players going back and forth on the roster. I like this guy, like, albeit another left shot, but I think he could really fit in nicely for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this will be on Dubis to figure out who he's going to put in that spot because you can find affordable options, perhaps in free agency. And despite popular opinion, Dubis was illustrating during the week that this is not a cap team this season anyways. I mean, next season has been documented. Anderson's up, Hyman's up. Those are two guys, well, perhaps that you would like to resign. We'll get into Freddie Anderson in just a moment. Obviously, you'd like to have Hyman back, but they're going to have a little bit of flexibility, at least this year, with the $4.5 million coming off the book for Cody CC. You have, I think, another two point five coming off for Tyson for Berry. Barry. Obviously, the Avs retaining half of that contract, so not the full value coming off the Maple Leafs books, but at least half of it other notable free agents or restricted free agents are Clifford, Spezza, Malgin, Mikhaev, Frederick Gautier. So they're going to have a little bit of money to play with here if they want to go out and maybe take a quick sniff around in free agency if they don't decide to go the route of a trade to try to adjust those needs. Yeah, and, and maybe perhaps it is a, a, a physical defender who, who could play with Riley, like, you know, Borvietsky or Chris Tanev. You know, even I know the Leafs were looking at Zach Bogosian too, who's now on the Lightning. But a player like that, because you know the Cody Cece and Tyson Berry experiment did did not pan out at all. I think the Cody Cece thing. I know that he got a really tough rap, but really that was a one for one, and it was the Maple Leafs getting out of the Nikita Zaitsev contract. That's all that was. Because of the term, had to bring yeah, some that was four or five. Back. Yeah, they have still significant term. The Senators do that is on Nikita Zaitsev's deal. They had to bring something back, similar money. You know Melnick is a big money guy, so you know we're going to take on some of yours. You have to take on some of ours. And it fit 
like a tentative need for the Leafs. Obviously, they needed an NHL defenseman to slot into the back. Some fans would argue whether CC is an NHL defenseman or not. Obviously, the analytics Dubis was pointing out first round pick play, played in the favor. Yeah, he he is what he is. I'm not gonna here to berate this player. He obviously wasn't the best defender on the ice at any point in time during the Maple Leaf season or during the Columbus Blue Jackets series, but it was a necessary evil to free up some cap space. Now the Maple Leafs do have probably around seven or eight million bucks, maybe a little bit more once you count those entry level deals or the at least like the vet minimum deals like Spezza that's 700k Clifford I think was making 800 900k so you add those up and you nickel and dime you're going to probably have around 10 million bucks in cap space and feel pretty comfortable going out and being able to sign maybe one defenseman or a lower lower slot winger or center to come in and bolster those bottom six and see if you can get some depth scoring out of it yeah I don't see the least keeping Spezza it was it was it was nice for a year again he took a hometown discount. I could see the Leafs signing Ilya Mikheyev for cheap couple more years. Obviously, you know, he didn't have the best play-in series, but... You I know, think this- Chris Johnson said that there was a one-year deal in place for him that they were getting ready to sign. For Mikheyev? Yeah, one year. Yeah, again, that, that's, that's doable. But, you know, for Spezza, it's, you know, obviously wasn't the best start. Scraps the first game first time ever in his career but like a lot of the players adjusted to Keith's style I couldn't see a, another deal in place for for Spezza I could see well, him going elsewhere he wasn't a difference maker for this team in the no. bottom six not in the way that you would have liked him to be and although he's willing to come back at the league minimum which I think is an attractive price point for Toronto obviously they don't want to the bottom six to get too expensive for them with the top heavy guys there but I would be surprised. I'm changing my tune a little bit on this. I, I thought that it would probably be a lock that they would bring this guy back, especially if he wanted to sign for 700K. I think there's still a chance that they could bring him back. But likely there's going to be a ton of guys in free agency this year who are going to have to settle for a little bit less than they were expecting to get paid simply because the cap is frozen. So teams aren't going to have the flexibility that they normally would have had to sign these guys. I think there's going to be a little bit of a gold rush in that sense of guys wanting to make sure that they have solidified spots on NHL rosters. And if that means they have to take a little bit of a pay cut to make sure that they have a spot in training camp, I think that they'll probably do that. It might behoove the Toronto Maple Leafs to sit back and wait on this one and sort of see what happens after the draft, see who's available in free agency and see where the market's trending before they pull the trigger on some of these bottom six guys. Because if you look at the roster right now, really – the only spots that are going to be open are potentially on the fourth line. If you think Robertson's going to be up full-time right. next year, if you think that they're going to re-sign Mikhaev, then you have Matthews, Marner, Hyman, Janssen, Tavares, Nylander, Mikhaev, Kerfoot, Kapanen, Robertson, Engelbal, and the GOAT. Obviously, you can put the line blender in there for however you like, but that's basically Janssen as well. Forwards. You mentioned Janssen? Yeah, yeah, Janssen. Yeah. I had him on the second line. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later because I do suspect that there could be some changes – in those 12 forwards and i'm not certain that all those guys will be coming back basically the money's coming down to signing a couple of depth forwards who can plug into the lineup if you're injured or some guys who might be more nhl regulars and then they banish the goat or banish pierre angleball more to a press box role where they can come in in certain situations uh, either in a specialty role or if somebody gets injured but that's basically where this team is at is that they've only got a couple guys to sign and outside of that defensive, the glaring defensive spot, they've got a little bit of space to play with now. They do. And, and definitely that's really the only areas that can be filled is, is the bottom six. And you look at the, the fourth line center potential spots to be filled. The goat who's an RFA next. Well, now he is an RFA. You have Pierre Engvall, who I think was much stronger than Goche in the playoffs in terms of offensive skill and, just his overall game and his style. And of course you got Malgan and Adam Brooks too in the pipelines. I think a lot of these guys will have a much better chance of, of filling that void over that Jason Spezza. Well, Malgan's also a guy that's uh, RFA. So they might have to look elsewhere for him. I'm not certain that the Leafs will offer him a deal. If they do, it'll be again, like a league minimum deal. Maybe Kyle Dubas wants to keep him around to sort of see what's going on, see how he can grow in the system. But then again, they already have a number of these guys who are sort of fringe NHLers. You look at Nick Patan and his contributions is coming over from Winnipeg, basically 
a top line player for the Marlies. Jeremy Bracco, a guy that the Maple Leafs drafted a couple years back, I believe in the second round, who has never been able to crack the Maple Leafs lineup on a consistent basis, hasn't really developed into that NHL threat. Again, maybe just an excellent AHL player. There's nothing wrong with that. So a couple of decisions for Kyle Dubas. One thing I will say is that it's good for them that they got the backup goaltender position all shored up and solidified now. Jack Campbell under contract for two more seasons at an affordable cap hit. I think it's just over 1.6 mil. This is the perfect acquisition for this team because a huge problem this year, a huge problem really since Curtis McElhaney left, for that matter, has been the backup goaltending position. It's been a rotating door, whether it was Sparks or whether it was Hutchinson. Nobody was able to come in and shut the door and solidify that spot for Frederick Anderson. At the end of the day, if your backup goalie is handing 15 losses, 20 losses the other way, those are critical points at the end of the season that you need for that playoff push. So the team likes Jack Campbell. He's been pretty savvy in that when he's come in. And I think that this is one of the shrewdest moves by Kyle Dubas to shore up that position for at least the following two seasons. Absolutely. I, I would say that Campbell transitioned to the Leafs with such ease. I mean, he seemed to be beloved as soon as he got there. Big locker room guy. Big, huge locker room guy. And, you know, this is key because there's – how many times, Kenny, were we talking about, you know, someone needs to come in and, and take the load off of Anderson. He's playing 60-plus games. He's going to be dog-tired for the playoffs. And I think Campbell stepped in and did an excellent job this year. And perhaps you'll see some more time between the pipes next season. If they could get Campbell, if they were comfortable with this, if he's on a roll and, you know, looking good in net, if they could get him around 30 games – which might be a stretch for him. I don't know what the organization's looking for, but that would be a very comfortable number for the organization if he is in similar form to he was this season because I thought that he was excellent. He gave the team a chance to win every time he was in net. And how many times do we talk about coming up with the opportune save? You don't necessarily need to kind of keep everything out, but you need the big save in the big moment. He always seemed to come up with that one when he was in net for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I got to feel that the organization is very comfortable with him. And if he can take that load off Anderson, that will bode well because obviously Freddie has been worked pretty hard for the last couple seasons. And it's been well documented, especially with so many teams going to the two goalie tandem, whether it be Boston with Rosk and Halak, whether you look at Carolina with Reimer and Morazic, whether it's Dallas with Bishop and Hudobin, they're all over the league now. And the top goalies are always the most effective when they have that backup who can take the load off and then they can be fresh for the postseason. Time for our favorite segment. And the belief was, and the expectations were, they will step into elite company. They have no shot at winning 16 games in the spring. Well, I don't think you're lying. I just think you're misinformed. The answer is hell no. The will has to match the skill. And it wasn't there last night. It wasn't even close. Some people, I think it's become very political. Uh, I happen to believe in it. I'm on right now. I don't believe you. Everybody believes it or they don't. So let's get your opinion, Brendan McCarthy. All of the big four will be back at the beginning of next season. Do you believe it or not? I believe it. I was considering yesterday, I think Nylander is expendable because obviously his AAV isn't compared to the other top dogs and Matthews, Tavares, and Marner. But I, I think that Dubis is going to cut the big four some slack. It sucks that I have to say that, but because it's such a modified season, 2021 season will be effectively like the last, the last straw. So I'm going to say they're going to be safe for the 2021 season, the big four. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I believe it. Uh, I'm not sure who the most expendable piece is. I, I think that Tavares and Matthews are both here to stay. Tavares obviously has the no movement clause. And Matthews has proven himself to be the best player on the team. So that would leave the other two as being potentially expendable. Um, after hearing Kyle Dubas speak this week, I think that there is 0% chance that he parts with any of these guys before the beginning of the season, unless there's some sort of blockbuster deal on the table. Obviously, anything can happen in an NHL, and if a GM wants to bend your ear about the potential of moving one of those guys, you have to have the conversation. But I would think that entering next season, any tinkering on the lineup will be outside of those top four guys. 
On to number two, Frederick Anderson will be back as the starting goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs for the 2021-2022 season. Do you believe it or not? I believe it. Again, I'm, I'm a huge, a huge Freddie guy, and I think people pointing the fingers at him is it's just, it's just wrong. Quite frankly, he's been the major backbone in the past five, six years for the Leafs. Five years, I should say. What bugged me the most is people equating goals that he let in in pivotal games, series-clinching games. And this is, this is a guy who probably since Ed Belfour has been one of the, the top Leafs netminders in this century, really. I would agree so with that. The, the blame cannot be put on, on Anderson. And, you know, his contract is... Affordable now, but they're going to have to affordable. renegotiate. They're going to have to renegotiate. But again, Lou Lamorello locked down that deal a couple years ago, and I think it's a great deal. You know, he's got he's got one more year. He's staying. He's staying. I think he's staying beyond that too. Well, if he's going to be staying, I would assume that the it'll be a multi-year extension for Anderson. Yeah, uh, I do believe this. Depending on the way that this season goes, I mean, we've had this conversation a little bit earlier on. I think this is a huge year for Anderson. Obviously, the flat cap next year makes it a little bit more difficult to look ahead and see where the organization is going to be and where he's going to be. They're going to have to find a number in the middle of where the expectation is for his play and what the number is going to be that's going to fit into the Maple Leafs cap structure. I think that this guy has been tremendous for the Maple Leafs, not necessarily when it counts in the postseason, but you don't make the postseason if you screw up in the regular season. And this guy has bailed them out time and time again in regular season games, clinching important points, stealing points from division rivals, wherever right. it be down the stretch to help this team make the push into the postseason. I also think that now having an effective backup behind him will be able to boost him a little bit more, hopefully get him a little bit more rest. We saw how effective the tandem of Anderson and McElhaney was in the past. I think that he can find similar luck with Jack Campbell a career backup guy, not going to be pushing for the starting position, quite content to be a consummate pro, come in, support him in every way that he needs and not be pushing for that starting spot as sometimes can happen. I mean, look at New York right now with Georgiev and Shesterkin breathing down Hank's neck in the last year of his contract. If you got figured like this will be the swan song year and then it's cut bait for him. But that sort of pressure on a starting goaltender can be a little monumentous. And I think for a goaltender like Anderson to have Campbell back there, who's just content, chilling, doing his job, coming in every third game and making some saves, giving his team an opportunity to win and being happy with that. That's a huge thing for a starting goaltender in confidence. And that bodes well for Anderson moving forward. Number three, both Andreas Janssen, Mango, and Kasperi Kapanen, will be back for training camp at the beginning of this season. Do you believe it or not? I'd love to hear the roots of that nickname, Mango. Mango? Yeah, pretty, I was thinking about funny. this the other day. I have no idea. I'm going to look it up now because <laughs> it's just a Google search away. But it's obviously has nothing to do with you know, him being Swedish. You know, they don't grow mangoes in Sweden. And obviously, like, <laughs> uh, it has nothing to do with, you know, I mean, maybe he just like, likes mangoes a lot. It could be something that stupid. Maybe Anyways, it's I'm making myself uh, sound stupid now, so I'm going to shut up and let you hear your answer. But It might be like his pregame meal or something. Maybe he mixes it in a smoothie. I believe that one of them will be back, and I, I think Dubas will be sniffing around this offseason to try and deal one of these guys. Because So you don't believe that both of them will be back? I, that yeah, was I don't question. Be- sorry, I don't believe that both of them will be back. One of them, I think, will be gone. And if I yeah, could choose I, one, it's, it's Janssen. I think that you're right. I mean, three million bucks for a bottom six winger is a little bit rich for my blood. Uh, They can obviously have the potential to move up and down the lineup. But these are some attractive trade pieces that the Leafs have. Uh, I think that they would be open to maybe moving a package deal of either of these guys to bring in, uh, whether it's more sandpaper, whether it's some help on the back end, uh, whatever it is that they want to do. They'll have that ability to move these contracts. I don't believe that these guys will both be back at the beginning of training camp. I think it's almost inevitable at this point that one of them will be moved this offseason. All right, number four, believe it or not, Austin Matthews will break the 50-goal mark next season. I believe it. 
th- this guy's confidence just keeps growing and growing. And obviously he was on the verge of doing it. And until the, the season went on pause and he's again, he lights it up in the regular season. He's been doing it since he's been drafted 2016, 17. I say he does it. Who are you? James Myrtle. I say he James doesn't. Myrtle and his wit- uh, or no is that Alter who uh, has like the witty clever Austin tweets. Matthews on pace for 150 goals this season after he scores in the first period of like the first game of the season I say he does it <laughs> that's a classic oh, classic Myrtle that. Twitter move uh, I think that that this is another inevitability he was well on pace to break 50 this season before yeah. COVID chopped the season off uh, I mean how much how many did he end with 47 on the year 47. 47 on the year in about 70 games so obviously he would have scored four more goals three more goals over the remaining 12 games of the season um i would expect him to continue to develop into an even greater offensive talent next season i wouldn't be surprised to see him get you know 55 you know pushing 60 goals in a year he's got that lethal wrist shot one of the best Keep releases the stash in too. The yeah there's no doubt that he's keeping the stash. Lou is out of town, yeah, and it is not. It is all party mode up front for Austin Matthews with the stash, big cactus, repping the flare. I like it. It kind of looks reminds <laughs> me of Ron Jeremy from the '70s. Yeah, he's gonna for me break 50, no problem. Um, it'll be more of a question for me is how he's able to become more physical in his game, and I don't necessarily mean just taking the body in the corners, but using that big frame to box people out and get better positioning in the offensive zone. I've seen him take steps towards that this season at becoming more engaged in that aspect of his game. I would expect to continue to see growth in those areas. So for me, I believe that he's going to crack 50 for sure and probably closer to 55, 60 if I'm going out on a limb. You look back to the 16, 17 season, you just got a baby face. Just his swagger and confidence has just skyrocketed in the last couple of years, and that's only going to translate well on the ice in terms of his offense. Do you see what this guy is wheeling into the rink wearing? Like he's he always stud, looks man. flashy as hell. He's going for that NBA drip. Yeah, big time. Uh, the Maple Leafs in general are probably one of the best dressed teams as they walk into Scotiabank Arena, and hopefully that swagger does translate on the ice because I think that looking good and feeling good about yourself and your game can go a long way for your confidence level. Speaking of confidence level, number five, Timothy Lilligren will make the jump this offseason <laughs> and be on the Leafs' opening day roster. Do you believe it or not? I believe it for the, for the opening day roster, but I, I could see – Like in the press it. box, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of see it. Remember, remember Stuart Percy? He, he was supposed to be like another uh, up-and-coming stud defenseman years ago. Yeah, yeah, there's been a bunch of guys banished to the box, whether it's Frankie Corrado, Josh Levo, Justin Hall. Frankie Corrado. Yeah, there's been a number of Maple Leafs prospects who have been banished to the box, and you think that's where Timothy Lilligren's headed? I mean, ideally, you'd keep him down with the Marley so he could still get reps and continue to work on his game, but there's a chance that he could be on the opening day roster. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like Rasmus Sandin taken a year after him, um, I I think he had a phenomenal year overseas with the world juniors he only played a couple game with the Leafs I think he had like seven assists or something but again much more poised than than Lilligren yes to answer your question I believe he'll be in the opening day roster but probably probably looking down at the ice I don't believe that this guy's gonna be on the opening day roster I don't know what's going on with Lilligren uh it seems like his development's very slow obviously defense defensemen take longer to develop into the league I think he's still a young guy. Like, what is he, 22 years old? He is 21. Okay, so he's got a lot of time still to work the, work on his game and develop into an NHL-caliber player. For me, a defenseman of Lilligren's caliber, you want him to be getting the minutes. I want him playing with the Marlies on the top pairing and still improving on his game and working towards that. I think it's much more likely that we see the specialist, Martin Marincin, as that guy in the press box and probably Callie Rosen as well. He's a little bit of an older defenseman, 26 years old. So a little bit more mature in his game, more likely that you'd see those guys in the press box as the extras. And then hopefully in the off season, one way by hook or by crook, the Maple Leafs are able to acquire some help on the right side of that decor to bolster the lineup a little bit further. All right. Number six, JT, the captain, your boy will break the 45 goal mark. This season, uh, if you recall, the season before, 
He scored 47, his career high with the Toronto Maple Leafs, playing on that line with Mitch Marner and Zach Hyman. This season, a little bit more snake-bitten. He didn't have the production that he had a year ago, but he had the broken finger earlier on, obviously the shortened season. So we see JT go back to that original form when he came over for the team, scoring 45 or more. You believe it or not? I don't believe JT will break the 45-goal mark. I think it'll be a similar stat line from this season. Obviously, it was great first season with the Leafs, career high in goals, but I, I could see him, you know, 20, 20 to 25, load up the assists, but I don't, I don't see Tavares uh, surpassing that. Uh, again, like, he's going to be 30 next year. Not that he's declining, but I feel like his goal production won't be as high as his assists. 60-point year for Tavares this year, so obviously disappointed. I mean, he was dealing with a finger injury, so he missed a number of games earlier on the year. I think that was sort of plaguing him all year. I think those numbers are going to be pretty high again. I expect a huge bounce back year from Marner next year, and that will bode well for Tavares or Matthews, whoever's playing on the wing with him. I would expect him to climb back up into that career average mark, probably around the high 30s, maybe the low 40s, depending on if he's reunited with Marner or how Sheldon Keefe wants to line that up. But I'm with you. 45 is a high amount Like when you look at his career averages, so probably a little bit below that. I'd be comfortable saying he'll hit around 40 or the high 30s, 38, 39, somewhere in that range. But 45 is a lot for me. Okay, number seven, we touched on this before, but let's hear your thoughts now. Jason Spezza will be back on the Leafs roster next season. you believe it or not? I don't believe it. As I said before, a lot of fourth-line centers in the pipeline. Freddie Goche, I'm sure, is going to get signed. And uh, I think they're going to go with the the younger guys over the – grizzled vet and Jason Spezza as much as I enjoyed his contributions obviously he had that fight in game four to kickstart a crazy Leafs comeback but I don't I don't see him back on the Leafs roster you know what I'm actually going to go the other way on this I believe that he'll be back I think 700 grand for a player of Spezza's caliber good veteran mentorship for the young kids on this team you know we mentioned earlier with the cap what this could mean for third line fourth line guys who are not as regular NHLers who are coming up into the free agent market, they could be willing to take a little bit less. But I think at the price point, this guy is going to give you a good bang for your buck, and you need a little bit of that veteran leadership in the locker room. So I'd be surprised if Kyle Dubas doesn't re-up this guy, at least on a one-year deal. Same thing, league minimum. All right, number 16, the voice of a lot of scrutiny after the Maple Leafs elimination from the playoffs. Mitch Marner will break 100 points next season he was on pace for a 93 point season this year before play stopped do you believe it or not this is tough because this is a huge a huge wake-up call for Marner now he's he's got a lot of a lot of thinking to do um especially if if he wants to be a staple a staple leaf for a long time and obviously the contract works in his favor but I believe that Mitch will be able to do this I think he's going to keep getting bulkier over the offseason and continue to fine-tune his craft. I say he does it. I say he has a breakout year next year and comes back with authority. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I think that Marner is going to lead the team in points. I think that he's just going to be feeding Matthews or Tavares. He's going to rack up feeding. a ton on a lethal Leafs power play. I mean, that just is like a slot machine for points for these guys. As soon as they get the extra man out, they're operating at you know 26%, 27% efficiency i would expect that to be the same next year with those same five guys coming back on the ice i just think that marner after everything that he went through this offseason the scrutiny that he faced you know the fan base turned on him a little bit the fan base turned on him a little bit as well following the loss to columbus suggesting that he wasn't as effective as he should be at the price point i think that this guy is going to have a monster year and we expect it from him to be honest i mean this the caliber of a player he is his career high is 94 points. I say he shatters that, breaking the 100 mark. I believe this for sure. All right, from the front end to the back end, Morgan Riley will be up over 60 points next season. You believe it or not? I believe Riley will just be shy of the 60-point mark. I think he'll continue to put up, you know, under 10 in goals, rack up the assists. But Morgan Riley has been the most consistent player on this team for years now and I don't think he's expected to you know smash stat lines and and put up crazy amount of points 
I don't believe that Riley will surpass 60 points. Again, I think it's going to be similar to this year where he gets under 10 in goals, racks up the assists, and continues to be a staple uh, on the Leafs' back end. But, you know, the, the, big, the big thing is he's going, to need, he's going to need help, a better D partner, if he wants to surpass that. But if they don't, then it's going to, it's going to be under 60. I've, I think you're onto something there. I think this is directly dependent on whoever they're able to bring in or whoever yeah. they decide is going to be playing on that top pairing with Riley. We mentioned before he thrives when he has a more defensively responsible partner on the back end, and he's allowed to play that riverboat gambling style of pinching in in the offensive zone, getting involved in the rush. I think that's when he thrives. He obviously had the 72-point season, not last year, but the year before this year. I mean, he just was plagued by injuries all year. It seemed like something was nagging him really right from the get-go. He never had that sort of production or that sort of jump to his game that he had in the 2018-2019 season. I would expect a big year from Riley bouncing back next season. I think that he does crack that 60-point ceiling, and I think that he does it pretty readily to solidify himself back in the minds of the Maple Leafs faithful that he is the number one defenseman that this organization needs to make a deep push into the postseason. All right, more broad question here. Number 10, the Maple Leafs will finish in the top three of the Atlantic division next year. Do you believe it or not? Believe it. Sure. I mean, it seems to just be their spot. Uh, You know, it's obviously their only competition in the Atlantic is Boston and Tampa Bay, quite frankly. And they've had serious trouble surpassing them obviously in November December they're close to them and then they just fall back and and stay complacent with the third seed so I say yes once again they'll take third in the Atlantic okay basically this question for me is will the Toronto Maple Leafs finish above the Florida Panthers in the standings because the Red Wings stink the Senators stink the Sabres stink the Canadians are building but they stink I think all four of these teams are going to be in the bottom four And I think that the top four, you obviously know Boston's going to be there. You obviously know the Lightning are going to be there, barring some sort of catastrophic situation where they have plagued, where they're plagued by injuries or whatever happens. So basically, this is a two horse race for me between the Panthers and the Maple Leafs. That's how it was panning out down the stretch here as well. Florida was never really able to take advantage of the Leafs' shortcomings in the same way that the Leafs weren't able to take advantage of the Panthers' shortcomings down the stretch. I think that Florida will be a better team next year. It'll be Quinville's second year behind the bench. We know his pedigree and his ability to motivate a group from all his cup wins in Chicago. Obviously, the GM out in Florida as well, so they'll be looking for a fresh face there, maybe to shake some things up on that roster to make it a little bit more competitive. You know, when a new guy comes in, he likes to bring in his own guys. I do think that Toronto will edge out Florida, though. I think that this experience will be a growing experience for them that they need, and they'll be able to take that next step, not only offensively, but in the defensive responsibilities of their game. So I believe that they'll finish in the top three of the Atlantic next season. Yeah, I think they'll flip-flop back and forth. The Panthers did uh, give the Leafs a lot of trouble this season when they played. And, you know, as you said, Quenville, phenomenal coach. His resume speaks for himself. They'll flip-flop back and forth, I'm sure, in in the winter. But I I believe – that the Leafs will, will come out in, in the third, third spot in the Atlantic. All right, which brings us to our final one, which is pretty much tailing off the prior question. The Toronto Maple Leafs will be able to get out of the first round next season in the playoffs. you believe it or not? That's a tough question. It basically are we, assu- is are we assuming be, it's Tampa, Boston, Toronto? I mean, I think that's what we're assuming, that it's going to be one of those two teams in the top spots. I mean flip-flop however you like but basically it's asking if you think that Toronto is capable of beating either Tampa Bay or Boston in a seven-game series after what you've seen this year or potentially if they don't fall into the top three seats in the Atlantic whoever the number one seed will be in the Metro could be in that conversation as well. I believe the best scenario for the Leafs is to play Boston again in the first round and just you might be dish, in the minority there. D- dish away, <laughs> dish away the, uh, the, the demons, man. Just get it over with. Everyone's saying, oh, like, if we can, let's avoid. We're going to have to play them at some point. Yeah. You I'm know? with you. You play them, you know, four times during the regular season. You can't let them 
you can't be afraid of your older brother forever. At a certain no. point, you just have to, you know, when you start to get closer in age, you just got to take them on. And I think that this is what the Maple Leafs need. The Bruins have obviously been the team that's been the nightmares of the Toronto Maple Leafs for the last 10 years. If they can find a way to get over the hump against a seven-game series, that would go a long way for the mentality of this team moving into the future. I mean, look at the Toronto Raptors, all those years of getting spanked by LeBron James exactly. in the Eastern Conference. They just didn't have it in their DNA. They make a couple off-season moves. They bring in Kawhi Leonard. He instills that championship DNA, and now they're winners. And you can see the confidence and the way that their attitude shapes their game on the court. The Toronto Maple Leafs need to get that done as well, which all it takes is just that one series win against a big team or that opposition that's been kicking your ass forever. And the Bruins are that team for the Maple Leafs. BMAC, anything you want to add here before we say goodbye? I know that uh, there was that news about the strip club in Toronto and the whole COVID thing going on. What are your opinions on that? You go into the Rippers during the quarantine or what? Boneheads. Like, there's so many. I know there's boneheads living in the city, but what, what guy in the right mind is going to a strip club right now? Especially consecutive days. Because yeah. that is, if you're going to Zandabar or Brass Rail, that just screams COVID. Yeah. Screams COVID. You, you have to shut it down. <laughs> It's not a good situation. <laughs> I mean, I found it hilarious. I didn't realize that either of those places were that busy. I think it said that they did 550 covers over four days. Those are pretty impressive numbers and a lot of horny old men go rowing in there after the quarantine, six months at home, and they could not wait. Just to switch gears briefly, Kenny, um, I know we're a Leafs-based podcast, but I do want to um... – Say I'm thinking of Claude Julien and his family. Obviously, he was experiencing chest pains um, at the hotel at the Fairmont after uh, game one against the Flyers. He was released from the hospital and now is back in Montreal. So, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is really tough, tough to hear. And hopefully the Canadiens can kind of use this to, to kind of fight for Julien and, and climb back in this series. Thinking of him. Yeah, all rivalries aside, uh, we all root for each other in the game, and obviously the health and safety of the players and members of the organization is of the utmost importance. Claude Julien, one of the best, most respected coaches in the game in recent memory, so thoughts and prayers are with the Julien family, and you hope that he's able to recover and rejoin his team behind the bench, if not for this playoff run at the beginning of next season, because he is an excellent, excellent member of the hockey family, and You'd hate to see him have to call it an earlier career because of a medical issue like this. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Not Another Leafs Podcast. BMAC, I don't know when we'll be recording next. We have, might have a little bit of time <laughs> off. Maybe if there's a move that happens in the conclusion of the playoffs or right before the draft, we can jump back on. The Leafs obviously don't have a first-round pick this year since that's going to Carolina. So haven't been paying too much attention to the top prospects, but we can do a little look-ahead episode or a take a look at some of the draft picks that Toronto gets around that time. What do you think about that? Absolutely, man. Hey, when you're covering the Leafs, you can always cover the Leafs. No matter what month or season. Who are you, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> that was one of the weirdest takes I've ever heard. We're out of here. At Ken Stapon on Twitter, at McCarthy 95 Thank you for listening to episode four of Not Another Leafs podcast, and we'll see you in the hopefully not-so-distant future. <laughs>